0: Bill created a puzzle for me, your age-appropriate activity. I'll be 92 in another month, and what is my age-appropriate activity? (laughs) Probably taking a nap. (laughs) Sunday night seminar starts next week, and you know, I thoroughly enjoy research and writing And one thing I like about the Sunday night seminar, it lets me take the time to do that without having a guilty conscience. And uh, so if you're planning to attend, we would ask you to sign up uh, on the foyer. Of course, it's not necessary. But that's so we can estimate how many notebooks to prepare. And you know, I try to write so completely that frankly there's no reason to come because it's all in the notes. (laughs) But it's still... Just a joy to be with everybody on Sunday night. What a blessing. You know, as I've been reading and meditating upon the book of Acts, the thoughts that come to me and the episodes that take place so fill my mind that as I pray to God about a word today, I can't avoid one particular set of scenes that kept coming forth. And, Lord, is this my thinking or is this what you want presented today? And that's something I always wrestle with. And the thing that one thing was a struggle is that out of this there came two totally different thoughts. Boldness and the question, does Jesus care? Two totally different thoughts. And yet they are there. And so that's the path we'll take this morning. Two or three days after Pentecost, the birthday of the Church, Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer, which would have been around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was the ninth hour, and it was the custom in Jerusalem every day at 6 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon to have a time of prayer. And it seems when they were in Jerusalem, the apostles continued to follow those Jewish practices. And so at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they came to the temple to participate in a time of prayer. The gate they started to enter is the gate that had been called the Gate Beautiful. And as they approached this gate, there was a beggar. This was a man who had been lame from birth. He had never been able to stand, never been able to talk. We see little babies learning to walk. That never happened to him. And so every day, someone, friends or family, carried this man to Gate Beautiful where he sat begging alms. Now, alms means in the Jewish religion something that you give as if it were an act of worship. And so he was asking alms. That was the only way he had an income upon which to subsist. And as Peter and John approached, they looked at this man and he begged them, alms, alms. Peter looked at him and said, look at us. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. And he lifted the man, and for the first time in his life, he was able to stand. Think of that. Muscles, sinews, which had never been there, were there. Not only that, he started walking. Wow! And he started running and leaping and praising God. And then he grabbed hold of the apostles for just what they had done. Everybody in the courtyard knew this man had been crippled from birth. Wow! And so they rushed around the apostles. Peter and John looked at them and said, If you think this is something we have done, you're wrong. It was done in the name of Jesus. And they began to preach Christ. Now the temple authorities... Bothered by all this ruckus, this irreverent ruckus. And not only that, that they were preaching in the name of Jesus, Jesus sent the captain of the guard and some temple guards to arrest them and bring them in front of them. Put them in jail that night. The next morning, then they brought them to court. They really didn't know what to do because here stood this cripple, fully healed, and there was a bunch of folks watching. They were really handcuffed in a way As to what they might be able to do. So all they could do was say, All right, you guys, don't ever do this again. Don't do anything else in the name of Jesus. And they had to release them because here was this man who had been healed. And then they went to a group of Christians who evidently were in a prayer meeting. And when they walked in, there was a great jubilation. Notice, here's, here's what they said. Acts four twenty nine to 31. Now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence, while thou didst extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, The place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice, they didn't pray, oh God protect us. They didn't pray, oh God damn our enemies, but God give us boldness. And they're reflecting what the apostles had said when the council said, don't you ever do anything in the name of Jesus again. And here was their reply. What is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God? You be a judge, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Such boldness. And the next day, not only Peter and John but all 12 of the apostles went back to the temple. And there in the courtyard, all 12 of them began proclaiming Jesus Christ and doing wonders. And many people began to come to them and believe. And again, the temple authorities wait a minute. We've got to put a stop to this. And they sent the captain of the guard and the temple guards and arrested them and put them in jail overnight planning the next morning to bring them to court, but that night an angel came and opened the gates. (laughs) Evidently the guards were asleep (laughs) and they all left. The next they went right back to the temple. The next morning the captain of the guard and the temple guards were sent to bring them out of prison. They, we don't understand this. We got there. all The gates were locked. The guards were all in place, but they're gone. And then someone showed up and said, those guys, you're wretched. Last night, they're all back in the temple preaching again. And so this time they sent the captain, the guard, with the temple guards to arrest them. But Scripture says the soldiers... We're a little bit fearful because of the crowd <laughs> the crowd was on the side of the apostles the apostles should have said okay we're not going in the crowd that raised a ruckus but they didn't they respected that authority and went back to appear before the court And I'll tell you, the court was so angry, we told you not to do this, and you did it anyway, and they were going to execute them. And then a rabbi named Gamaliel stood up. The two most famous rabbis in Jerusalem at this time were uh, Gamaliel and Hillel. Gamaliel greatly respected. He's the one who tutored Saul, who became Paul. He stood up and said, Now, brothers, let's stop and think about this. Remember, there was a man, Thaddeus, who rose up and got a great number of followers and almost had an insurrection, and it came to naught. It went away. It wasn't of God. And then a man, Judas, did the same thing, and a great number of people began to follow him and rose up. Then it went away. It wasn't of God. If what these men are doing is not of God, it's just going to go away. But if it is, we might be opposing God. And because of his counsel, the court did not execute them, but they flogged them. Now, according to Deuteronomy, it would be a sin in whipping someone with a lash to give them more than 40 lashes. And so what the executioner would do. He would count one. Two. Until he got to 39. And stop for fear he would miscounted. And didn't want to commit a sin. So each of these 12 apostles. Were submitted to 39 lashes. Even as Jesus had been. Think of that. They experienced the torn bleeding backs as their Lord Jesus had done. Were they intimidated? Not one bit. They left praising God and thanking him that they had been honored by being allowed to suffer for his name. You know, these early believers really set an example for us, didn't they? They would not be intimidated they knew that according to Jesus in John 3.17, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. These people who were their enemies, Jesus Christ had died on the cross to save them. They were all going to hell unless they accepted the only begotten Son of God and the sacrifice he had made for them. You know, we're living in a culture that's more and more becoming like the one they lived in, aren't we? Bill Sullivan over the past years many times now presented situations in our culture that are really becoming enemies of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Fader last two week or two weeks ago talked about the comments Elizabeth Warren had made and it's just something in it. I recently read one Nancy Pelosi had made against those who believe in the sanctity of life that we're persecuting women or it's a sin to outlaw abortion. Think of that. And that's the only part of it. Yes, we believe in the freedom of religion as long as you keep it in your belly, but don't go out there. We have to go out there. You notice how many churches are trying to see how big they can get? Come, come, come. Jesus said, go. Jesus said, go. He has never told us to build the church, He'll build the church. He'll tell us to boldly go forth. How many of us are too intimidated in our workplace to ever speak to co-workers who are going to hell about the way of life. I've been meeting with Jim Volth, or rather Jeff Volth, for years. Last Wednesday we, we meet regularly and they were offering invitations at the end of their service, people coming forward. They wanted to immerse them. How do you do it? And so we talked and came up with a plan with a portable baptistry. And, and out of my experience, I gave them instructions. And so they're doing that now. Last Wednesday, said, Jim, you'd be so pleased with how many people every month we're now immersing into Jesus Christ. And he said, let me tell you something that happened last Sunday we'd already immersed folks, and we were coming to the end of the service, and a man came forward for prayer, a young man, because Jeff is the man who teaches all of the first-year ORU students, about 600 kids in his class. He thought, well, maybe it's one of them, but no, it wasn't. And this young man said, I work for Target. And last week, one of my fellow Target employees began to talk to me about Jesus. He talked to me about his faith and what he had in Jesus Christ, the assurance of heaven. He said, I want that. And so he made the good confession, and they had a second immersion service at the end as they immersed this man into Jesus Christ. He's gone to heaven, not hell, because a fellow employee cared enough about him to share Jesus. And I have to wonder how many of us are so timid and shy. Now we have to be led in the Holy Spirit in this, or we do more harm than good. (laughs) But to be open to the Spirit, to direct us to this one, we don't want that one to go to hell. Oh, God, how can we do to let them find the path of life? And even in our families. How much of us are intimidated by our families and not being faithful in witness to them? The next incident involves Stephen. Now, because of circumstances that arose in that first church, I'm sure you remember what it is. The church consisted both of Palestinian Jews and Hellenistic Jews. Jews were those who lived in countries outside of Palestine. Their primary language was Greek, and so they were Greek-speaking Jews, Hellenistic. The Greek word for Greece is Helles, so they were Hellenistic Jews. And on the day of Pentecost, many of them were in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and they accepted Jesus, and they stayed as a part of the church didn't have jobs, didn't have places to live, and so the church began to have a common purse. And the accusation arose, you know, our Hellenistic widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. The apostles said, look, God's called us to preach and pray. We don't have time to oversight this. Appoint seven men. They gave their qualifications, and they picked seven men. Every single one of them has a Greek name. (laughs) They wanted to be sure that the devil did not cause division. And one of these was Stephen. And instead of going to the temple, as the apostles had done, Stephen went to the Hellenistic synagogue, where Saul of Tarsus was a member. And he began to talk about Jesus and People began to argue with him, and they said they couldn't overcome his Holy Spirit-given wisdom. And so they took him to court and employed a bunch of lying witnesses to distort his words and bring accusation against him, and the court started getting angrier and angrier. The longest recorded sermon in the Bible is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. The the second longest recorded sermon in the Bible is Stephen's. It goes on and on and on. And one by one, he began to build a case against the Jewish court. And in turn, he indicted them. They became so angry they gnashed their teeth and drug him out to stone him to death. And as the stoning began, his face looked like an angel. And he looked up and said, I see the Son of God standing by the right hand of the throne of God. And then he said, didn't say, God, deliver me. He didn't say, God, stop them. He didn't say, God, damn them. But he echoed the words of Jesus, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And he died. He died. Boldness. But as I look at that scene, this question then comes. Jesus watched him die. Did Jesus even care? The apostles were flogged. Did Jesus even care? And I have to ask that question. Does Jesus' care. In 1536, Henry VIII saw William Tyndall as being a threat to the church's authority because he translated scripture out of Hebrew and Greek into an English language Bible. No longer the Vulgate, but an English reading Bible because of that, Tyndall was tied to a stake and strangled, and then his body burned. Before he died, he lifted his eyes and prayed, Oh, Lord, please open the King of England's eyes. Boldness, but compassion. But Jesus watched Tyndall die. Did he care? Does Jesus care? This morning I can state unequivocally, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Let me cite some things. Jesus, dear friend, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Word came to Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus and his apostles were outside of Palestine at that time, across the Jordan River. And then they finally came, and when they came, Lazarus had died. And Jesus came to the tomb where Lazarus was laying, and people were sobbing and weeping. Sorrow over the death of this dear man, Lazarus. The shortest shortest verse in the Bible, (laughs) two words, Jesus wept. That's one the first ones kids used to memorize. But those two words are profound, aren't they? Seeing the sorrow that people experience over the death of a loved one. Scripture says it accounted unto man once to die. We're all going to die. And the sorrow and the grief. Jesus doesn't just sympathize. He empathizes. He feels it. Jesus wept. In the triumphal entry, as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, he topped the Mount of Olives and looked down, and behold, him it was the city in Herod's glistening temple, the crowds coming out. But he paused. When he approached, he saw the city, and Luke tells us he wept over it. Earlier, he had said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem thou that killest the prophets and stonest those that are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thee unto me as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings. But you would not. It was not, oh, God, damn these people. But I weep over what's going to happen to them because they will not accept what you have done in their behalf many times in the new testament we find jesus being described as having compassion for the multitudes matthew 9:36 seeing the multitudes he felt compassion for them because they were distressed downcast like sheep without a shepherd matthew 14:14 14, 14, when he went ashore he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them. Matthew 15:32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, "I feel compassion for the multitude. They've been with me three days. They have nothing to eat. This was the feeding of the 5,000. I don't wish to send away hungry lest they feed on the way, but he had compassion for this hungry crowd. When Jesus and his disciples approached the gates of the city of Nain, they suddenly encountered a funeral procession. It was leaving the city. Behind the coffin walked a weeping widow. And when the Lord saw her, Luke seven thirteen and following, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep came up and touched the coffin the bearers came to a halt he said young man I said you arise The dead man sat up began to speak <laughs> and Jesus gave him back to his mother but he had compassion for this grieving mother on his way to Bethany as he passed Jericho there were two blind men and Jesus moved with compassion touched their eyes my brother, my sister, Jesus cares for us. And sometimes he moves to pluck us out of that situation. More often than not, he doesn't. Why were Peter and John and the Twelve spared and Stephen killed? I come back to that passage in Acts 13. David, after he had fulfilled the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep, underwent decay, and slept with his fathers. The purpose of the twelve in their generation, and for all generations, had not yet been fulfilled. Stephen's purpose had. And it was time for him to go. But as James Thorpe pointed out last week in the sermons, we pray and God knows the future and God knows this and we don't. So we pray and leave the results and answers in his hands. Jesus cares. He displayed a caring heart. The heart of God the Father who character Jesus embodied here's what Peter says 1 Peter 5 humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time in this casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you Because he cares for us, as we said, that doesn't mean we're going to find life to be easy and free from pain. Peter again wrote, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering, are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be glory forever and ever. To me, when I read the book of Revelation, one of the most striking scenes is described when the fifth seal is opened. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There was given to each of them a white robe. They were told to rest a little while longer. And then here's the interesting thing. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been should be completed also. Think about that. In heaven, there is a list of everyone who throughout eternity will be killed before their, because of their faith in Jesus. Is my name on that list? <laughs> is your name on that list? Are we willing to be bold regardless of what the price might be even pain and torture and death? Will we get a white robe? Serious thought, isn't it? But does Jesus care? Yes, he does. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth and song. As the burdens press. And the cares distress. And the day grows weary and long. Oh yes he cares. I know he cares. His heart Is touched by my grief. When the days are weary. The long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares. Does Jesus care. When my way is dark. With a nameless dread and fear. As the day light fades into deep night shades does he care enough to be near oh yes he cares i know he cares his heart Is touched by my grief when the days are weary, the long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares. Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief, there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Oh, yes, he cares, I know he cares. His heart is touched by my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary I know my Savior cares. And here's a verse that's a hard one for some of us, but it's appropriate. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heartaches till it nearly breaks. Is it all to him? Does he see? Yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched by my grief. The days are weary, the long night dreary. I know. My Savior cares. May God's blessing rest upon you.